0: Worship team, a big round of applause. Um, you know, if you, if you want to go ahead and open your Bible up to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that's going to be the first text that we visit. But, you know, as I was, I was praying about what God would uh, have me come and, and share with you, and again, I'm, really, I'm very thankful for the opportunity. Um, you know, it came to me, a common problem, that I'm sure that we're all dealing with to some degree and it's a problem that we face because of the purpose that we've been called to. Um, I imagine that we are all to some degree struggling to maintain a proper focus during this time. You know due to the COVID-19 virus and the subsequent quarantines and due to the economic downturn that not only our economy but the world economy is struggling through right now, and also um, the ever-present political issues and and so on and so forth, because of all these things, it's hard to not become distracted. Uh, And... When we become distracted by these things, we're distracted not just in certain facets of our life, but if you're like me, you struggle with being distracted in every facet of your life. In fact, um, one of the areas of our lives that I think we could be the most distracted in during this time is our spiritual walk. our our I'll say our relationship to God. If you find yourself kneeling to pray... And your mind instantly goes to all of the novelties of the life that we're living right now. If you kneel to pray and you think about the fact that you have to wear uh, a a mask when you go to the grocery store. The fact that you no longer go to the grocery store. You now order curbside grocery delivery um, or whatever else it may be. uh, You you are struggling with being distracted in the Christian life. And, And this is a time when the church needs to take a breath and refocus on what the main goal of the Christian life truly is. Now this just doesn't have to be a message to the church. This could be a message to anyone who would listen because the goal of the Christian life is really no different than the glorious goal of all human life. Solomon tells us what the goal for all mankind is in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Um, Solomon after he had put himself through a a strenuous and very unique experiment if you will where he had tested um, the the pleasures that this world offered in all sorts of facets and all different ways as only probably he could in the time that he did it he comes to this conclusion in verse 13 he says the end of the matter all has been heard fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And the biblical understanding of fearing God really means to love God for who he is. We may be tempted to read that word and take um, our common modern vernacular's meaning of the word fear and think of terror. And there is an aspect of that in the word, but that's in the, especially in the Hebrew understanding, the Old Testament understanding, uh, that's by far... Not all that is incorporated into that understanding of of this term, fear God. Um, The first and greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And we just read that the whole duty of man is to keep his commandments and fear God. So these things can't be opposing. They can't be... You know, you you can't love in the way that Americans think about love and at the same time fear in the way that Americans think about fear. Those two things are really opposing ideas. So if we look at the term fear God biblically and we couple it with the idea that we have to fear God and at the same time love God with all that we are, we get a much different picture than you and I probably walk around with when we use these two terms exclusively today. To fear God is to love Him In that, yes, I tremble before him as my judge. And at the same time, I adore him as my father. I honor him as my creator and my provider. And at the same time, I serve him as my master. So to love God and respect him in light of all that he is, or I'll say it this way, to delight in him fully. Is the goal of all human life. Now, of course, most of mankind will reject what I just said. Um, That goes without saying. Only Christians can accept what we've just said. Only those who have been made regenerate by the power of the Holy Spirit can do what we're talking about. Romans 8, 7 and 8 tells us this when it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we're told in subsequent verses that those who are only in the flesh or have a mind that is dominated by the flesh, they don't submit to God's law because they can't submit to God's law. You know, before salvation, we have no way of pleasing God, really, because we're under the dominion of sin, because we're blinded to the truth that would set us free. However, when God saves us, something happens. He gives us, uh, he gives us new proclivities that weren't there before. You know, we, we think differently. We see the world differently. We see both ourselves and God totally differently. And although we still sin after salvation, we also have a desire and now an ability to obey that we didn't have before. We are now free and enabled to obey Romans 6.19, for example, which tells us, Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. So Christians have a new ability to please God that all of mankind is called to do but only believers, only the born again can do. Still, like we said, although we've been set free so that we can honor God this way, we can often fail to do so for many different reasons. But one of those reasons is that we simply sometimes just become distracted, don't we, Brother Kyle? Brother Kyle's here with me helping me film, so I'm not just preaching to an empty church. I'm preaching to an audience of two, Jesus and Brother Kyle. So the question, though... Is this, if we can fail to fulfill our purpose and honor God and please God and fear God and delight in God because we're distracted, then the question is, how do we at this point in time in history here in America, the church in America, how do we regain a right focus? The answer is that we remember the truth of who God is and who we are before Him. You know, the Reformers, um, they had a term that they used when they were asked what the main idea or the main purpose of the Christian life really is. They had a term that depicted or totally encapsulated their answer. And they said that the Christian life is to live quorum deo. Now, of course, that's a Latin term, and it means in the presence of God. This means that we should practice a constant consciousness of the presence of God in our lives because regardless of our circumstances, He remains transcendent. We should always keep in our minds a a close and relative understanding that in all that we do and in all that we face and in all that we endure and in all that we undertake, our God is very present with us and He's watching all that we do and He's ruling over all that we do and all that is done to us and all that's done around us. Um, so, if we keep that in mind, then we do keep a very relative understanding of God's transcendence in the midst of our circumstances. Um, I've got two examples biblically. One would be David in Psalm 139 when he wrote in verses 7 through 12... Um, even the darkness is not light to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Also, another example would be after chasing his own aims and being swallowed whole. The Bible says in Jonah 2.1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So you have two examples, and, and I chose these two because even the text's are very different. One's more of a historical uh, recanting of this, of of events, and the other is a songbook, a poetry, a a prayer to the Lord from the heart. But both paint the exact same picture that, you know, uh, for the child of God, circumstances are never long-term distractors. Rather, these serve as reminders of who God really is and what we are before Him always. You know, if you look, you see David, and he goes through all, he he goes through all these mental exercises, and he says, If I went to heaven, you were there. If I was in Sheol or in the pit of death, you were there. If I'm uh, in a place where even the light has turned to darkness, you are not only there, but you're still transcendent above even the darkness, because even darkness is light to you. Nothing overwhelms your sovereignty in any of my situations. And Jonah, although his mind and his focus had been turned from God onto his own situations and his own desires, and he had followed his own wicked heart and run away from the purpose of God, God used terrible circumstances not to increase his distraction from God, but as the the reality check that brought his focus back in line with his position before God as being a servant to God and totally relying upon God. So when we go through circumstances like we are all enduring right now, we're reminded that he's the Lord over all our circumstances. And regardless of our situations, we're still his servants. We just happen to be called to serve him faithfully under adverse conditions. Perhaps to regain a right alignment and live Coram Deo, we should look to the day when this truth will be most clearly seen. Paul writes of this day in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, and he says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is a reference to the day in which Christ Jesus will judge his church. And Paul gives a a more detailed picture of this day in the preceding chapter. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15, he says of those who would build their lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... We will stand before Jesus and the fire of God will test the works and the fruit of our lives. And what is worthless will be burned up and we will suffer loss because of those things. What is valuable will remain. Maybe to help us understand this a little better, what it means to suffer loss on that day or or what it means if we have gold and silver and precious jewels left, on the altar of God on that day. Perhaps we should look at another picture that Jesus Himself gives um, of this event coming in the future. And He gives it in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Now most of you, of course, are probably familiar with this parable so we won't read the whole thing. But uh, we, you would remember that uh, the master in this parable is leaving on a trip and he gives resources to his servants in varying amounts So that they can manage his holdings and increase his wealth uh, while he's away. And when he returns and calls his servants to give an account of what they've done with these resources, the two servants who conscientiously invested the resources entrusted to them for the furtherance of the master's kingdom, they had an increase to give him when he returned. And the one who had lost focus of the goal of his servanthood didn't. And he was found lacking. You know, I think if we take all this into consideration, we get a pretty clear picture of what that day of judgment is going to look like for all of us, one way or the other. If you and I love Jesus, we will want to please him. We don't want to stand on the day of judgment with nothing to give him. Um, if, if If that's our situation then I want to warn you, as Paul warns you, you're going to suffer loss. A a lot of people in the church, they they look at that verse, and it is true. We do find a certain moniker of assurance in it, but in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 3, we read that if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This whole text is to Christians. It's to believers, all of whom are justified by Christ and will be saved. But there's still a warning to believers that on the day of judgment, we will, some will suffer loss. So what does it mean that believers will suffer loss? They're not going to hell. What does it mean they'll suffer loss? Well, I think it means this. I think it means that we will not enjoy the smile of our Lord's delight in that moment when so many others are basking in the glow of it. On that day, dear friends, we will want to have piles and piles of gold and silver and precious jewels to give to Jesus. As we say to him, Lord, you delivered to me five talents here, I have made five talents more. Then we will stand in the radiance of his smile. And that glow from his smile, his delight over our offering to him, what symbolizes our whole lives given over to him in respect and in honor of what he did for us. In that moment, the radiance of his smile will evaporate every tear of grief, every frustration, every pain, or every heartache that we have experienced during our time of service here. We will be overcome by the glory of His delight as He says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. And if we want that to be our situation on the day of judgment, we have to prepare for it now. Now, of course... The first prerequisite is that we be born again. And if anyone listening to this is not born again, if you have been playing games with God your whole life, if you have been one that uh, maybe you, you you were raised in church and you may know a lot of Scripture and all those things, but God has never really changed your heart and you don't have a, a, a saving relationship with Christ where He's your King and you're His servant, you're His bond slave and you want to live your life for Him, if that's, if that's you, if you're not in that state of being, if you've not been changed by the Holy Spirit of God, then I want to encourage you But I also want to warn you, God may very well right now through the circumstances that we're all going through, he may be bringing a general reminder to all people. And if he's been working on your heart and this stings a little bit, I would dare say that he's probably bringing um, a a reminder to you, a wake up call to you right now. And he's saying the time is drawing very near until his return. He is coming back eventually. We don't know the day or the hour, but he's coming and you better get right with him. Or else you will suffer loss of a greater kind than what we're talking about. But if that's you, you don't need to fear coming to him. Because no matter how bad you've been, no matter how bad your sin, no matter how many times you've rejected him before, he makes a promise that all those who come to him, he will in no way cast out. If you come to him right now trusting that he, God the Son, did come to earth and put on flesh so that he could be joined to you and take responsibility for you so that he could offer the perfect life that you owe God and that he did and that he could take the wrath of God for all your sin because he took responsibility for your sin. He owned your sin and on the cross, God punished you in Christ Jesus and that you were buried with him so that just as he was resurrected from the dead, proving that his sacrifice was enough, To completely fulfill the law for you and pay your debt to God and reconcile you to God the Father. Just as He was resurrected from the dead, you too one day will be resurrected from the dead and resurrected to eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you trust Him to the point that you repent of your sins and you turn from the way you've always lived and you turn to living After him, chasing after him, giving your life over to him because he now owns you and because you trust him with your sins and you trust him with your future and you trust him with your eternal soul. If you believe in him and trust in him that way and you come to him begging for mercy, truly repentant, he will never turn you away. He will only greet you with mercy and grace and he will change your heart and he will save you. And then your reward is sure. You get him. And that's the best thing you could ever have. But if you're already a believer, the, the way to make sure that you don't suffer loss, but stand in the light of our Lord's smile on that coming moment that we talked about is to try and live every moment now before the very face of God. You know, we can't afford to be distracted. We, we, we can't allow our current circumstances to distract us from our duty. We must perform our duty under the gaze of our Lord who rules over our circumstances. Amen. So I just want to thank you again for uh, inviting me into your into your home uh, or wherever you may be. And I want to thank you for this time to, to, as much as possible, fellowship with brothers and sisters that don't normally get to fellowship with. Uh, I, I pray that you are blessed by this and I pray that you're encouraged by this. And I pray that all of our hearts will experience some degree of revival because of, of what God's doing in his church during these times. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. I love you. I praise you. Again, we lift up Brother David and his family right now and we pray that, um, that you'll just bless them and take care of them. I pray for uh, Union Baptist Church and I pray that you'll bless them to, uh, to know your will for their lives, Lord God, to know your will for their, for their church body and to, uh, to be be a people who chase after it with total abandon. And I just pray, God, that you'll be glorified uh, in the way that all of us, all of your church lives our lives, lives. Lord, I pray that you would make us holy because you're holy. Lord, I pray that you'd make us people who shine as lights in a dark place during very dark times. And we ask all these things for the glory of our King Jesus' name. Father, please honor him by hearing our prayer and answering our prayer. In his name we pray. Amen.